Hello and welcome to a rock and roll rabbit hole where I will be digging through my vinyl record collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back and positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs that fall within a different set theme every episode. Choosing from any song part that gives me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy a record, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician, and check out some of this amazing art that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people like to share their opinions these days, please do let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I don't ever check this email at gofuckyourself.cock and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, nah, seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me up at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, some great YouTube interviews, anything rockin' and entertaining. I love it all. And if I like it, I'll play it and give you a shout-out on a future episode. Also, if you dig what I'm doing, feel free to tell a friend or two. You can also visit the website, www.arockandrollrabbithole.com for Spotify playlists of each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. Thanks heaps. Before we get into it, I do want to say a big thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed the podcast and the crew who have hit me up on Instagram, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast. Your sticker and pick packs have been posted. It really does help. The podcast, after six weeks, has hit the Apple Music podcast charts in Australia, South Africa, Sweden, Finland, Ireland, and the US. And the download numbers of all episodes have jumped a bunch this week. Thank you so much getting so many listens in America now, which is great. So this week I'm focusing on you Americans to please, please rate and review the podcast. And yeah, happy to send you guys a sticker and pick pack. Just hit me up. And if you are enjoying the podcast, also share it with some like-minded friends. I still have a bunch of guitar pick and sticker packs that I'll send to you for free anywhere in the world until they run out or I run out of money. Just review the podcast and hit me up on Instagram. If you pop over to my Instagram feed, you can see the sticker and pick packs. So here's some excellent humans I want to personally thank for rating and reviewing the podcast this week and also just for some nice vibes. So here's some excellent humans I want to personally thank for rating and reviewing sharing the podcast on Instagram and just for some nice vibes this week. Steve Shank in Ohio, Brett Wood, Nathan Hunt, Daniel Todd, Clancy Fancy Pants, Serge over in California, Guitar Fix-It Wizard, Brett Gasket, and Lizzie Whaley. Lizzie, I haven't forgotten your dad. He's definitely coming up in a few episodes. And Greg Falzoni for his Hunzi Cronier joke, which I'm sure I will claim as my own one day. Thank you so much, guys. And here goes. Episode 7, Cowbells from Hell. And the Bruce Dick 
Pattinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say they. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Thank you, Bruce. Episode 7 is all about the cowbell. This could have been a three-hour episode as there are so many excellent examples of subtle and obnoxious uses of the cowbell in so many songs that I love. I am trying not to double up on songs too much on the podcast, but this one was my golden hole tune from last episode's F-Bomb Extravaganza. But I can't go past this one because it actually uses two cowbells. I'm not sure on the sizes, so we'll go with large and medium. Killing in the name of Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine album is one of my favourites and it's an absolute classic and it has four uses of the double cowbell. In front of the class, but the lesson plan he can't recall. The student's eyes don't perceive the lies mounting up every fucking wall. The was well kept. I guess he fears playing the fool. The place the students sit and listen to that bullshit that he'd learned in school. Yeah, so you thought you could get with the all rhyme to fill your mind. Four cowbell songs in a row. 
as it gets. This next band's producer, Jimmy Miller, played the cowbell for this famous recording. The band started recording this as a country song based on Hank Williams' Honky Tonk Blues. Here it is. They made it into a more rocky song for the release as a single, but also released the country version called Country Honk a few months later on Let It Bleed. today did I notice how much this song speeds up from the intro compared to the first chorus. Such a good vibe, it really works. Honky Tonk Woman, Rolling Stones. next one in episode four's drugs as it's a great fun song about coke but i chose another darkness song about drugs given up because cocaine trumps heroin cocaine is a hell of a drug <laughs> thanks for that rick james but that's not the point i'm trying to make this one even has a credit card chop and sniff added in the panpipe infused intro head over to rockandrollrabbithole.com and click the golden magic tab to see the darkness's resplendent bass player Frankie using all his cowbell skills at a gig in this song to mesmerise the crowd. Here's Justin Hawkins' cowbell-driven ode to coke. The darkness, one-way ticket to hell. And back.
episode 7 and it's the first mention of Led Zeppelin. I must admit that I have never really dug too deep on them but I know I should do as I love the bunch of songs from them that I do know. I have most of their records on vinyl but need to dig deeper into the album tracks as I know I will love them. It's on my to-do list this week. I have always loved this one. Good times, bad times, Led Zeppelin. explaining what this next song is about in a concert in 1987. They sell night train around here? So you know what that is, right? It's a real cheap bottle of shit wine. That's why most of these wine hoes are knocked on their fucking ass. It's pretty good shit. Let's go for a fucking ride. Appetite for Destruction is obviously one of my all-time favourite albums. It actually has Cowbell on seven of the 12 tunes. So here's a little cowbell compilation. I said 7 out of 12, but that's 8. Doesn't really matter. No one's listening. Night Train, Guns N' Roses. Like a train, like 
writer of this next song said the song was inspired by a sort of sexual twist on an Elvis Presley song recorded in 1961 with the same title. This song was also recorded in one take. When the band performed this on Saturday Night Live, Will Ferrell jumped up and played the cowbell with them, reprising his Blue Oyster Cult skit from earlier in the episode, Little Sister by Queens of the Stone Age. block but it doesn't matter because live they use a cowbell and here's proof. Here's a live snippet of the great Eddie Vedder playing lead and rhythm cowbell with the Queens in Chile in 2013. Wonderful musician and a, and a great human being, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Eddie Vedder. This song is called Little Sister. Just as a side rabbit hole, here's Will Ferrell joining Coldplay's Chris Martin on stage to cowbell up some Viva La Vida. Introducing this great pop tune from the 80s. This is a song about a, a girl I knew in high school. I went to high school in suburban Baltimore. Uh, this is a girl I knew there who used to do LSD and lie in a field by the Yoohoo chocolate drink factory. 
which she claimed was a great place for that kind of thing. I, I had my doubts. But I'd take her word for it. Listening to the track now, I think there are three key changes, but all sound effortless. So brilliant. Talking Heads with their cowbell-driven chorus, and she was. And she was lying in the grass And she could hear the highway breathing And she could see a nearby factory She's making sure she is not dreaming another quick batch of one album that came out in 1981 which i also love maybe a shop in hollywood had a cowbell sale every five years not sure another childhood favorite album too fast for love by motley Crue. as a side rabbit hole check out the album cover online and compare it with the rolling stones cover for sticky fingers it's definitely a tip of the hat i will wait while you do that See, told ya. Here's my third cowbell compilation. chosen to go with Public Enemy number one. This was one of two songs that Nicky Six wrote that wasn't by himself or with one of the other band guys. He seemed so prolific back then despite his addictions and the band being so busy touring etc. Possibly due to not wasting time with bass solos on his records. I think Time for Change was the other one written with Donna McDaniel who was a background singer for Motley Crue and, and sang on the Girls 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 and Dr Feel Good tour. Public Enemy number one was written with a guy called Lizzie Gray a.k.a. Stephen Perry. The guys both played in Nicky's pre-Motley Crue band called London. London's revolving lineup also featured the following musicians before they all went on to start bigger or join bigger named acts. Blackie Lawless from Wasp, Fred Curry from Cinderella, and Izzy, Stephen and Slash from Guns. Here's Lizzie telling a weird story about the song and a gig with a Motley Crue lookalike band. And I started a band called London, and London was just a full-blown glitter, gla- you know, glam type thing. And uh, I kind of stuck in that genre, and Nikki kind of went a little bit more in a different way. And Molly Crew did their thing in the '80s, and uh, I'm still doing what I've been doing since I started playing rock, which is just glitter rock. actually a cover song song public enemy number one all right you know it's really funny this is a funny story about that song but public enemy number one 
uh, everybody kept going, Lizzie, why don't you guys redo that? I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that Molly Crew tune. You know, you know Nicky did that. It's on his record. They got a platinum album. That's cool. Playing with a Motley Crue cover band. Right. And they're going, will you come on stage and do Public Enemy with us? So I, I said, yeah. It was the weirdest thing because I'm on stage with, with quote-unquote Nicky, you know, but it's not. It's this guy in this black leather outfit clone from the second Motley Crue album, you know. And he was a, just a dead ringer. And it felt so weird to be standing up there next to this guy who was a dead ringer for Vince Neil. And I'm sitting there singing Public Enemy number one. And it went over great. I mean, the place was packed to the gills at the FM station. And so I said, you know what? We should record this damn song. And so we did. And uh, we got a really great review. Uh, oh, actually, a bunch of really good reviews from the London Days album. And somebody said uh, that uh, our version was like 10 times better. I hope you thanked your mum for that review, Lizzie. The slightly out of time but charming Public Enemy Number 1 by Motley Crue. I neglectfully didn't add a Beatles song in episode four, which is about colours of the Mexican flag. So I will compensate you now with two cowbell entries played by the great man, Ringo. If there are any cowbell nerds out there, I'm not sure if they exist, but I have researched hard and he actually played a Ludwig gold-toned cowbell on these tracks. Golden. My internets has a website called YouTube. You can Google it on www.google.com. If you can't find that, you can contact Paddy Cummings at Fingerprint Audio. Google him, email him. He loves people. Do it now. I'll wait again. Cool. So speaking of YouTube, I actually found a cowbell and piano mix of this one. Drive my car. YouTube also had a guitar, bongo, and cowbell mix of this one. Sounds like a party. Magic. Hard day's night.
This next song just uses the cowbell as a pinch-hitting special guest and was released in 1972. The singer and writer who featured in episode one admitted that he performed the lead vocal as a parody of Bob Dylan. Frank Zappa rabbit hole. It did have cowbell in it though, so it's all good. Back to the song I was originally talking about. His Bob Dylan parody wasn't as deep as Frank Zappa's, but you can hear the Dylan in his voice. This single sold over 1 million copies, eventually peaking at number 6 on the US Billboard Hot 100 chart. But for some reason, it makes him want to dance, cut off a policeman's ear with a straight razor, then threaten to set him on fire. He is stuck in the middle by Steeler's wheel, as seen in the Tarantino film Reservoir Dogs. Obviously, Mr. Blonde loves the cowbell too, as he stops during the cowbell section to make sure his torture subject takes in the sweet donk of the cowbell. Stuck in the middle by Steeler's wheel. absolute Aussie classic and a worldwide hit for the band. Here's a singer introducing the song in 1996. A song about those people that uh, started off in Australia before we did. And there are people everywhere that started off before the people there normally did. And, and it's a song that says for us that really 
Blood colour is more important than skin colour. Beds are burning, midnight oil. Out where the river broke, the bloodwood and the desert oak, holding wrecks and boiling diesels, steaming 45 degrees. The time has come to save us. To pay the rent To pay our share The time has come A fact to fact It belongs to them Let's give it Another classic oil song that I love with Cowbell. Read about it, Midnight Oil. song was written by one of the band's singers and a guy called Robbie Patton. It was released in June 1982 in advance of the album itself and the song became one of the band's biggest hits in the United States, peaking at number four for seven weeks. Which doesn't sound too impressive but there were so many hits around at that time and it was battling the charts with Eye the Tiger, Abracadabra by Steve Miller, Hurt So Good, etc. I'm not even 100% sure if it's a cowbell in the chorus but I know it's a great song. Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac. Bye. 
next song has always made me chuckle and smile. It was the band's debut single in 1978. And here the band talks about the song. I remember um, Ricky, Cindy lived in a house together and um, I came over one afternoon and Ricky was sitting on the edge of the bed with a guitar and he was laughing. Just, and I was going, what's so funny? I had walked in and he said, what's so funny? And he said, I just came up with the most stupid guitar riff you've ever heard. <laughs> and I said, well, let's hear it. And he goes, and I was just, yeah. I, I mean, it was brilliant. That's some kind of stupid genius. Yeah, I mean, but he had that sense of humor too, and you know, I mean, he he saw the humor in it. But it was, I mean, it was it, what a riff, you know. Yeah, it's like we were thinking, we were talking today how it, it had, almost has a Middle Eastern. The whole song has a, this kind of Middle Eastern sound to it. But also, a great know, cowbell so. song, right? <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a few. We loved using uh, all instruments we found in thrift stores. Um, cowbell. There's also paying homage to Yoko Ono. Yeah, absolutely. Um, looking for a strange fish sounds, and um, I could do uh, some um, this thing, different so uh, sounds with my vocal that was similar yeah. to what Yoko was doing. Hers is hers, and you can't quite get it. Oh, but, no. But it was a, a bit of an homage. <laughs> well, what's cool about that is in rock and roll history, John Lennon hearing that song is what gave him the impetus to come out of retirement. He spent five years just raising Sean, his son, and there's the story that he calls up yeah. Yoko and says, get out the ax, or I can't remember the exact word he used. Our stuff without even stepping, without even changing a thing, we could go on right back. And I dug out the old records we'd made. I dug out the B-52s and then I talked to my assistant who tried to turn me on to them 18 months before, but I said, no, I'm not into the music now. I didn't want to hear anything. He was trying to play me pretenders and madness and all that stuff. And I didn't want to listen to it. And I said, give me some more of this. What's going on out there? He brought all this, you know, cookie, whatever you want to call it, stuff in. And we looked at each other and we thought, ha ha. Mm -hmm. They finally caught up to where we were, what we were trying to do all the time, which is another form of expression. And we thought, this time, surely they're going to understand it. And here we are doing it again. It's not that much different from what we did. If you take the Plastic Ono Band albums, which are titleless, I call mine Mother for reference. It had Mother and God and uh, a couple of tracks like that on. And her album, which was a same cover, but a kind of reverse trick. The first track on her thing is called Why. You play that and you play something modern now and see if we weren't on the right track in 1969 or not. She doesn't like listening. She likes to either do or do something else. Yeah, I, I held her in the chair and said, listen to this rock lobster.
Death to America and butter sauce. Don't boil me. I'm still alive. Iraq Lobster. Iraq Lobster. That was Peter Griffin with Iraq Lobster. He's the writer telling a great story about teasing his brother in this song as a joke and a bad Van Morrison impression. One of my greatest mistakes. <laughs> song was not supposed to be on the album. I mixed one version to play for my brother because I was teasing him because he stuttered a little bit. And put that song aside. And when the head of our label came in to hear us, and hear the album, because he always did that to see what would make it on certain radio formats. We played him the album called Not Fragile, the third BTO album. And um, he said, pretty good. I like the song Not Fragile. You guys are doing something here. I think we can call it heavy rock. Uh, I hear a band like Black Sabbath doing stuff like that. and uh, But I don't hear a single for Top 40 radio. And I said, that's it, the album's done. He said, well, I kind of like roll on down the highway, but I really want to hear something that's going to follow let it ride and taking care of business. And I said, that's it, the album's done. We had been on the road at that time, 93 days. We had 10 days holiday, of which a week was in the studio, and then three days to visit the strangers of our life called wife and children, who didn't know who we were, and uh, then back on the road for another 90 days. So let me just put this on. So I stuttered my way through this song Charlie Fatch took it out and heard it. He was the head of the label, and he said, this is magic. I haven't heard anything like this on the radio. You must put it on the album. I said, you're nuts. The guitars aren't even in tune. I'm stammering and doing bad Van Morrison, Morrison impressions. I don't know what I'm doing. I, this isn't even a song. I haven't even written it. I'm just bl blurting out lyrics. And he said, no, it's charming. I, I discovered Maggie Mae for Rod Stewart, and that shouldn't have been a single because it was like seven and a half minutes long. Believe me, this would be a career song. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you'll be singing it every day of your life, and you'll be grateful to sing it every day of your life. That and taking care of business are going to be your songs. So uh, I relented and put it on the album, told him he was wrong. I thought it would never get any airplay. Um, they went to number one in 22 countries. It was BTO's only single million seller. You ain't seen nothing yet. Bachman Turner Overdrive. inspired by a prop from the 1992 movie Singles. There was a cassette tape that was used as a prop which Pearl Jam bass player Jeff Ament wrote down some fake song titles. And when Chris Cornell from Soundgarden saw it, he actually wrote five songs around those fake titles. One of them was Spoonman. Man. 
I'm going to include the demo version here because it actually has a cowbell solo in it. Magic. Spoonman Soundgarden. All my friends are brown and red. Solo? Shit. These fucking things are everywhere. is a great vibe song and the singer comes under the category of musicians that most look like Louis CK. Cake, short skirt, long jacket. Cowbell tune was the last US number one hit for Prince. Here's Dave Grohl telling a random story, nothing to do with the cowbell, but I just wanted to hear it. I'd seen Prince play before, I grew up listening to his music, and then he did this 21 night run at the Forum in Los Angeles. So of course me and all of my friends are like, oh my god, we gotta go to at least one show. So we go down to one of the shows, we get in this big party bus, like 20 people. So by the time we pull up to the Forum, I'm, like, hammered. Okay, we've been partying the whole way in traffic down to the forum. We get to the forum, we go up to the little, like, VIP club thing. And our security guy, Kerwin, who also works with Prince, worked with Prince, comes up and says, hey, he knows you're here. He's going to call you up to jam. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm already, like, I've had one too many already. I'm not going up there with Prince like this. Anybody else in the world, I would jump up on stage and make a mess. But Prince, no way. So after the show, uh, Kerwin says, hey, he wants to meet you. I said, all right. And so he said, stand over here. And there was kind of like these curtain things. He's just going there. And I open up this curtain, and there's Prince and Sheely. And I'm just like, like my 80s brain exploded. I'm like, hey, what's up? And we start talking. And uh, he said, yeah, we should jam sometime. And I said, I said, absolutely. He goes, when do you want to jam? And I said, it's your show. Like, you're here for a month. What do you think? He goes, come back Friday. I said, cool. So I call my manager on Monday, and I'm like, oh my God, dude, I'm gonna jam with the Prince. I can't believe it. I just talked to him, this is amazing. He goes, I know, we sent him your phone number. And I sat with that phone in my hand for a week, on vibrate, sleeping with it near my head, the whole thing, waiting for him to call. He never called. So finally, by Thursday, um, I'm calling people like, what is he, like, what am I doing? Am I playing guitar? Am I playing drums? Are we doing a Prince song? Are we doing a Foo Fighters song? What are we doing? And they're like, just go down there. So that Friday, I go down there, pull into the arena. Kerwin says, he's not sound checking today, his voice is messed up. I'm like, okay, great. I go into catering, I eat something, and I think, okay, I'm just gonna go check to see if my gear is here. I walk out of the arena, there's empty arena, the forum, it's empty. And I'm talking to my guitar tech, and all of a sudden, just like that SNL skit with Maya Rudolph, he just like appears. And I was like, he's wearing these like purple pajama things. And he goes, hey, man. I'm like, hey. He goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I thought we were going to jam. And he goes, you want to jam? I said, yeah. He goes, you want to play drums? I said, yeah. So I get up on his drummer's drum set. It was insane. Like, I play a little, I play a four-piece drum set. This thing was like, it had 15 cymbals and shit. It was crazy. So I sit down, I start playing. He's kind of watching me. Then he looks at his bass player. He's like, give me the bass. And he picks up the bass and he starts playing bass. And now we're playing together. And he's kind of checking me out. And he's like throwing hand signal chord signs, like A or C. And this turns into this thing. No empty arena, dude. Like nobody in there. I'm like, oh, God, this is amazing. It was amazing. And then we end and we're like, wow. We're all like high-fiving each other. And he goes, man, you got a heavy foot. And I was like, yeah, I got a heavy foot. This is amazing. Then he picks up a guitar and starts playing a whole lot of love by Led Zeppelin. He's like, so I'm like, and it was awesome. It sounded so good. It was amazing. We do that for like eight minutes. I'm like, oh God, this is the best band I've ever been in my life. This is unbelievable. And then we end it, and he's like, man, that's amazing. We should do that. I'm like, yeah, we should do that. And he goes, what are you doing next week? I never saw him again. Cream by Prince.
always love this next tune, So Happy and Smiley. And the singer has a uniquely awesome voice. It was a US number one in 1974 and a great use of the cowbell. Can't get enough of your love. Very wide. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But I don't know about that. Many times if we've loved and we've shared love and made love. It doesn't seem to me like it's enough. It's just not enough. Baby. It's just not enough. That's the last of the cowbell songs for now before I get to my favourite in a minute, but I want to include a funny, crazy or interesting story in each episode about one of the songs or artists, and today's story is about Motley Crue. But first, here's the cowbell in all its glory. story they like the bad publicity the worse it got the more happier they were i mean i was on a bullet train with them in japan when um nikki was drunk and decided uh, he wanted to throw a bottle through the window of the train and no one thought he'd do it and i think tommy dared him once again just because we could you know i wonder what the sound of Jack Daniel's bottle sounds like smashing against the bullet train window. You know, it's just, it was just, what's it gonna be like? And it goes to the front and smashes the window and comes crashing down on these nice little Japanese people. You know, they're just coming home from work. The alcohol goes everywhere, glass goes everywhere, ruining people's suits. The, 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 uh, the the businessmen are you know ah, 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 everyone's freaking out about an hour and a half goes by we pull into tokyo station and as i look out the window i see hundreds of these guys in riot stuff you know running towards the train so i go hey nikki your fan club's here right? they handcuffed me 
And all the fans there, I mean, it's like the Beatles, right? There's, you know, 5,000 kids there, and they're crying, you know, and it's like such a big deal, and Mickey's handcuffed and going to jail. And So I go, excuse, hold on, I'm the manager. They grab me, throw me to the ground, handcuff me, and then take me and Nicky, because I'm the manager, I'm responsible. Nicky gets handcuffed, and I'm so ripped that I'm going, you know, I, I, you're not going by yourself, buddy. I'm going with you. Watch this. And I start a bunch of shit. Now, as I'm laying there, Tommy Lee says to me, he goes, dude, I can't let you go by yourselves, you and Dickie. I'm going to clock one. I'll go with you. Pow! And goes and hits this policeman. Off they all go. I mean, that is what they were about. You know, absolutely fearless. They take me to um, jail. They call Mr. Udo. Doc McGee sitting there, and I've got my sunglasses on and makeup's dripping out the bottom of the sunglasses, and it's like you know 12 o'clock at night. I've got my boots up on the captain's desk, and he comes in, and I go, uh, "If my balls were on your chin, where would my be?" <laughs> and he just looks at me. Like, are you insane? And I thought, oh, this is gonna get bad, right? And, cause you know, you're invincible, you're a rock band, you do anything you want. Those kind of stories would happen every single night. And Doc McGee's like looking at me like, I'm gonna kill you. And I'm, he looks over at the, the other guy and says, D does he speak English? And he says, no. So I was like, So here's the last of them and my first choice for the Cowbell Golden Hole Award. The next song was written by the singer in 1970 and featured on the band's debut self-titled album in 1973 and was their second ever single. This song could have easily been in episode one also, great building intros, but I missed it. I may need to do a part two of some of the episodes one day. I'm going to do a deep rabbit hole dive on the song now. This is one of three of their nearly 200 tracks that they recorded to feature a Hammond organ. The song was originally titled Lover, then they changed the title to Liar, Queen.
jump to later in the song after the guitar solo for some more cowbell glory from the great Roger Taylor. I love the relentless bass riff a bit later too. Non-solo gold from John Deacon. It's definitely not a solo. I won't accept it. bass player John Deacon sings on any records but he did sing some backing vocals live God bless that YouTube thing as someone has made a compilation of John Deacon singing background vocals in Liar. Totally pointless but I thank them. And all with a sweet cowbell backing One last word on this tune, another band that I love and will definitely feature on a rabbit hole somewhere soon is Jellyfish. And here's a few seconds from their great song, All Is Forgiven, which is definitely a tipping of the hat to this great Queen song. Queen's early shows were often plagued with power problems and here's an example from 1974 where Roger pops in a few random cowbell hits just for magic.
Oh, we had so many mishaps on stage, you know, power cuts were quite normal. Tell you what, we'll just pose and you just look at us. Anybody who'd like to pose with us is cordially invited onto the stage. It was nice, really, because the audiences were so friendly to us that it really didn't matter. They were very patient. It's a great feeling when you realise that, because I think when you're starting off, you think, what's going to happen if something goes wrong? You know, it's all going to go pear-shaped. But actually, you've got a great audience, and you've got a band who knows what it's doing, and no matter what happens, you can normally deal with it. Once again, thank you so much for listening and thanks to Rob Dean at Sweep the Leg Studios and Simon Russell and Paddy Cummings for tech help. Don't forget to email Paddy. He absolutely loves people. And also thanks to Matt O'Donnell. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to tell me what I've done wrong could do better in this free podcast that took me a few full days to put together, you can send me an email at stick a sprinkler in your sphincter at arockandrollrabbithole.com forward slash cockgoblin forward slash poop and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Now, but seriously, if you do have any suggestions, you can hit me at suggestions at arockandrollrabbithole.com or hit me up on Instagram, arockandrollrabbitholepodcast. I'd love to hear from you and check out some new music, some old music, great YouTube interviews. If you're playing a band, send me some of your stuff, anything rocking and entertaining, I love it all. And please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really does help. Thanks again to everyone who's already done that. You can also check out the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for Spotify playlists of each episode, all past episodes, and some other golden magic. To end each podcast, I'm going to add, when I can, an example of the topic that I enjoy from a lesser-known band. And today features a band we had in Episode 5's Colours of the Mexican Flag, with a song that could have featured in Episode 4's Drug Episode. That band is Bug Dust, and here's their cowbell-driven Speed Queen. Don't bother looking for these guys on Spotify because these vlogs don't have anything up there yet. Thanks again, guys. See ya.